welcome to the Manufacturer Podcast with KTN and UKRI. On today's episode, we will be exploring the future of supply chains and how digital technology innovation can help. Creating supply chains that really work is a massive challenge for manufacturers and building future-proof supply chains that enable innovation across their digital manufacturing processes is even more difficult. Today, we hear from some leading experts in the supply chain industry, together with UKRI and KTN, who are leading on the innovation strand of the Made Smarter program to explore the themes of data, insight, action, and trust as the core enablers of supply chain innovation. Our guests today include Kim Lloyd, Commercial Director at SupplyView Digital Twin Solutions and ex-supply chain director at Philips Lighting and Procter & Gamble. Vera Johnson, co-founder of Circular, offering traceability and due diligence of raw materials from source to manufacturer. And Chris Courtney, challenge director at Made Smarter Innovation. Our chair today is Nicole Ballantyne. Nicole leads on the Made Smarter Innovation Network at KTN and has 25 years experience of working in small and large companies and is also a chartered engineer. Welcome everyone. And Nicole, it's over to you. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome everybody. I'm really excited to facilitate this discussion around the future of supply chains. How can digital technology help and how can it be used to drive digital innovation? I'm going to go for a super top high level um, question to all of the panelists as what do you see as the future of digital supply chains? Um, first of all, I'm going to go to Vera, please. Hi, Nicole. I think that's a great question. What I see as becoming more and more of a priority is manufacturing supply chains using solutions to digitize the traceability of materials and products in their supply chains as a way of getting control of understanding what is actually happening within their manufacturing processes. But also as part of that, the um, the, the capture of their scope one, scope two, but more importantly, their scope three emissions, such that they can make empowered decisions about their sourcing and being responsible with their recycling. Great. It's really interesting that you bring in those, those kind of hidden aspects straight away. And of course, the net zero aspect that runs across the whole of a, um, a, a supply chain, digital or not. Uh, Kim, over to you. What do you see as the future of digital supply chains? The key first step in really wanting to effectively digitalize your supply chain is actually to connect the um, network that you're looking at. All too often in the past, we've just focused on optimizing single nodes of a supply chain because frankly, that's where the data is available um, and can be looked at. But actually it then causes potentially just waste to be uh, uh, passed down to the next stage in the supply chain. So the first thing that we really need to look at is connecting the landscapes, connecting, frankly, the disparate IT solutions that we currently all have in our networks. And I think that will resonate to people within uh, supply chains. Um, but then getting insight from that data, there is no point in having lots and lots of data that doesn't drive insight and give you a clear direction on how and where you can make massive impact in your end-to-end -end supply chains. So it's first of all connecting, but then getting insight from that data that will then allow you to drive to action and deliver a step change in your results. 
Great. Thanks, Kim. Chris, what's your view on the future of digital supply chains and the role that innovation has in it? Yeah, I, I think uh, there were three areas I was going to mention, and I think Bear and Kim really touched on, on two. I, I think the, the notion of end-to-end -end visibility and taking the systems view, kind of optimise the whole system, I think will become increasingly important. Many people are trying to, tr to try and do that. I think traceability and sustainability, those kind of things, so whether it's just traceability of uh, you know, chemicals or whether it's been ethically sourced, um, but also then the sort of carbon capture and uh, accounting through supply chains, I think have become increasingly important. Um, but I think also move towards much more responsive, flexible supply chains. I think everybody's seen that during the pandemics, you know, sudden spikes in demand or drops in demand, sudden looking for capacity and so on, and to be much more dynamic within that and responsive to where there might be spare capacity, where there, there might be issues and be able to respond to that. And I think those probably those three things are the things that I think digital technology can enable that sort of shift in performance to enable much more flexibility, as I say, much more sustainability, but to, to take a more sort of systems view and get much more connected set of supply chains. Great, thanks, Chris. My question around innovation, are the, is the technology available now? or do we need to innovate the digital technologies to enable these three key points to be addressed? Kim? The world has absolutely moved on in huge leaps um, in terms of the solutions that are available. And absolutely, we have solutions that really can enable, first of all, as I mentioned, connecting uh, uh, landscapes. Um, there is still a lot of work to do around getting standardization of uh, definitions of data, giving confidence in security of data, et cetera. But those solutions do exist. Um, and a key part of what um, certainly we need to do is really help people and educate people on actually how easy um, this can be to drive standardization and awareness. So yes, um, the solutions are available certainly to connect and absolutely there are solutions that are available um, the company I work for, SupplyView, um, absolutely is a key example of driving insight um, from data that exists across an end-to-end -end landscape. Um, and as Chris uh, absolutely pointed out, the key point is then enabling companies to really then understand um, how you can then design resilience into that supply network. So the, the third area that really will enable that is then effective modeling and simulation using technology like digital twins to really then understand in the virtual environment what is in the art of the possible. And all of that technology absolutely does exist. Um, but I, I think there is um, uh, a, a gap in, I think, understanding and enabling people to understand that actually the solutions aren't difficult. They, they are now plug and play there are drives towards standardization of uh, definitions, which will then allow us to quickly um, uh, set up those solutions to enable companies to move to results and act action. I just want to follow on from Kim's point, because several times you said that the, the technology is there, it's accessible, it's plug and play, it, sh it should be easy, but why is it not happening quicker, faster, and why are we not, as UK PLC, grasping the benefits? I think there's many reasons for inertia. Um, and I, I mean, we talked about, um, uh, well, I talked briefly about security of data, et cetera. And I think there's a whole issue around trust. Um, 
And we've um, certainly seen it with working with clients using the solution that we currently have, but also in, in my role as a supply chain director at Philips. When you're sharing uh, data around how profitable and how what are the losses within your company, if you're looking at sharing that data across nodes, we need to have mechanisms to ensure that people realize um, and are effectively using that data and there is a trust across those, those networks to use that data in the most effective way. So I, I think number one has been there's an inertia around um, trust of data and how it's going to be used. But frankly, also, I, I do think um, historically there is resistance from huge amounts of investment has been made in IT landscapes. Um, as people well know, to implement big ERP solutions, they've typically been um, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of investment um, with kind of two, three year projects. And actually they haven't driven some of the benefits that people believe they were gonna uh, deliver. And so there is a resistance around um, really having the confidence uh, on um, more agile, high-tech solutions. Um, we've invested the money historically. Can we now be sure that we're gonna deliver and uh, receive the benefits from more digital solutions that really enable insight? And yeah. the answer is yes. Uh, and the answer is but enabling people to see that by showing them. And I think that actually leads on to some of the work that we've been doing or looking at uh, Innovate with creating test beds. Great, great, no, good answer, thank you. Um, so Vera, you were going to talk about um, innovation and digital innovation and how you see it um, in developing supply chain. Sure, so just picking up on the points that Kim made about the, um, the nodes and innovation and also this um, real challenge of trust. I do genuinely believe that there are um, many digital solutions, digitization solutions out there that drive that innovation within manufacturing and recycling supply chains. What has been hard is being able to find the right ones that are suitable for deployment. Therefore, this concept of innovation hubs and test beds is absolutely critical. Attached to that is also the ability of solutions that are like Circular, which enable the use of blockchain capabilities to build those networks such that through the creation of immutable records at each stage in the manufacturing process between nodes, we're able to generate trust by not just uh, tracking the paperwork as a proxy for the actual material or commodity, but the change of state of material as it goes through that supply chain from source to end product. And as we start to see more and more of those nodes working together, the shared understanding and collaboration between those participants to really jointly agree sustainability objectives, circular economy requirements, but also pass down the code of conduct obligations all the way down the supply chain, I think is becoming more and more critical. And innovation really will help make that happen faster. Um, I would believe that we're probably only in the early stages of really seeing that trans transition starting to happen. And we need to do more and more of that to drive examples of best case examples, but good practice. And I'll give you an example. We're working with currently with Polestar and their ambition is by 2030 to have a whole net zero car. 
And in order to drive that, they have a stated ambition that they want to onboard all 28 of their supply chain participants globally, such that they have the entire transparency in a shared way. And that will, that will drive, from a pioneering perspective, a change in behaviours and attitudes. Great. I think, I think the fact, Vera, that you brought in there, the point about innovation in terms of trust, so the, 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 around blockchain as an enabling technology, great. And, uh, you know, having, having examples, as you've just said, an example of a, a global supply chain and opening up that collaboration um, using innovation on, on the trust um, is fab a great example. Thank you. So, Chris, just coming over to you, um, I know through the Innovate UK um, Made Smarter Innovation Programme that you have recently funded some um, digital supply chain projects. Um, can you share a little bit of information about where those innovations lie? Yeah, sure. I, th I think uh, we've got two major investments in supply chain technologies at the minute. One is a program of collaborative R&D programs, so about 18 million of, of our investment and matched by it. And then also, and then also the, the, the development of supply chain innovation hubs, uh, which also will get announced shortly. I think if you look at the thematic areas, particularly in those R&D programs, there was a lot of stuff around blockchain and around, uh, around analytics. So if, if I can start to then see across the supply chain and do some very powerful analytics around that, what, what possibilities for performance improvement, sustainability impact, so on, can that generate? And, and as Vera mentioned around uh, blockchain type technologies as an enabler to trust across those supply chains is really, really important. So I guess the, the answer in general in, to your first question about innovation versus you know adopting what we've currently got, there's a lot of technology that's out there that people haven't adopted. You know, So if you're if you have, as Kim mentioned, put a big ELP system in a decade or so ago, the technology has moved incredibly fast since then. So there's already technology out there around supply chain planning and other things that you can leverage right now. So if there's companies out there that, that are interested in developing their supply chain, they can develop they can use technology that's available right now to get to have impact for sure. That said, you know, if I look at the portfolio projects that we've had come through, the tremendously impressive innovations that people are you know, creating and, and, and generating ideas they have. There's no area of our lives that people stop innovating, and this is the same, you know. So I think we'll continue to see a really strong, vibrant uh, development of some ideas in this area because it's still a complex area to try and get that end-to-end -end visibility, that connectivity between companies and systems. It's technically difficult. It's also difficult from a, a people and trust point of view, but the potential is huge, you know, if we can start to find trusted ways to share and leverage that data. There's enormous benefits for all involved, I think, and just getting the right technology and the right approach to doing that um, and the right trust overall in the supply chain to be really important. So whatever we can do to try and foster that within this program, uh, as people mentioned through the innovation hubs and test beds to create an environment where those innovations can be accelerated, we'll be looking to do that. Thanks, Chris. And it's great to see that UK PLC is investing in innovation in these um, areas. Key thing for me is around enabling people to um, experience um, what it means to share data um, and how straightforward that can be, um, both internally within a company but across um, external nodes. But if I'm I'm looking at internally first of all, I mean this is where companies can start looking at um, now um, and creating their own test beds 
to really look at how do we make sure that we're, we're, um, we're using the technology that does exist um, to share information, to align organizations. And I, I see with many clients, actually, there's still a huge issue of very siloed organizations. Um, we're focusing on, for example, optimizing factories, production runs, et cetera. Um, factories like to run for run long production cycles, but that may then generate um, producing six months of products that then potentially could cause huge waste in the supply network. So it's really, really important that companies move from um, uh, very siloed decisions to um, decisions that really um, improve their own internal operations. And they look at the, the, the software solutions that allow them to connect traditionally ERP systems and planning systems that didn't talk to each other, but actually now can. You can create environments where you can plug and play. You don't have to have just people hired to create Excel spreadsheets that I certainly did at, at, at Philips to combine data. You, there are absolutely solutions out there that will allow you to get insight across those nodes within your companies. Uh, and then absolutely you can use those technologies but clearly it then requires different commercial discussions around um, how you use that data across companies and across, across boundaries. But as we talk, there are um, technology solutions that um, are being developed that allow people to have more confidence and trust in, in sharing and looking at that data. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Um, Chris, have you got anything to add to Kim's point there? No, I, I think I was just thinking about this, uh, the, the trust issue. You know, I, I've been involved in a number of attempts to try and create more connected supply chains um, in the past as well as, you know, see people doing it currently. And I think the, the people and the, the trust aspect of that and how you can you use technology to help that uh, and provide a, a safe space to do that or a safe way to do that. But, there, you know, there still is that, that, that sort of challenge of, believing that it's okay to share your information with a, a wider group of people. I've been involved in, in several sectors where the, the people at the very top of the chain uh, want data from everybody, you know, if you like, before them, but won't offer the, the same data back. I, I think that sort of building that building that trust and building that both technologically and within people that, that sharing that data, pulling it, can um, offer enormous benefits and it's it's frequently the, the first question people ask is about technology and they want a technology solution to it so in, in my past people will come in and say can you give me an answer to this problem thing it's a technological one and in some cases actually the barrier isn't technological the, te the technology helps and everybody's happy to do a proof of concept somewhere but the real implementation of it is is held back by uh, those kind of more uh, sort of human factors if you like sort of people and trust issues so I, I guess actually that's that's a good a good segue to uh, introduce the idea of the network plus that you have on your program, um, where it's looking at the economic and social impacts um, on digital innovation and adoption. Yeah, there's one. I mean, we are going to invest in some of that. We're looking at the sort of wider economic social um, factors that that lead to that more optimal way of working, I guess. And if you think about all the transformations that are taking place across all manufacturing sectors, there's enormous implications for all of those wider factors. Uh, and how do you create that sort of optimized future in the broadest sense is one of the things that we're interested to explore. Particularly in this case, you can imagine you know, the trust across those supply chains, as I mentioned about getting end-to-end -end visibility and have a, 
to take a systems level view. You want everybody who's in that chain to play a full part in it. Um, and it, those are trust issues as well as technology issues. The technological integration is often painful. Commercial factors, uh, human behavior factors, there's a whole bunch of other factors that sit within that. And to try and get that, you know, people need to trust that they're going to get fair value for what they contribute in those kind of sharing mechanisms and so on. So I think trying to look at the, the broader um, aspects of that, in addition to developing the new technology solutions, I think is the, you know, the best combination of things. And that's say, why we've, we've got that, that program of work led by Jan Godsell's Jill McBride, um, who, are, who are building together that, that program to really tackle, you know, how do we get to that optimized future that we talk about. Thanks, Chris. I think a message that I'm kind of hearing from all of you is around that IT systems aren't intelligent. Um, they are systems to collect data um, that generate insight, but it's from that insight that we can create action. And I suppose over the last, well, over the last 10, 20 years, we've seen companies grow through acquisition who have disparate IT systems and how do we get them to talk to each other? Um, I think yeah, the, the issue of trust and that sharing and the collaboration uh, is a message that's coming across you know, super clear in, in all of this discussion. Um, Kim? Yeah, I, I, exactly what you've summarised well. Trust is around, as you say, companies have evolved over time, typically from acquisition. So their IT landscape is extremely traditionally disconnected. So first of all, trust comes from, well, what is the data source? Can people really have confidence that you're combining that data effectively and holding it in a location that is secure um, and that they're then enabling them to make the right decisions from that data. But as so trust is data where it comes from. Secondly, what insight you drive from that data um, and confidence that you're getting the right insight. But then finally, as you say, as you move forward to action, trust is around then how are you going to share the advantage that you've got from that data um, and that you feel that the, um, the participants across that network who provided data um, have confidence that the, the outcome is then equally used um, for the, the greater good of everybody. So there's a number of different factors of, of trust in there that technology will absolutely enable to then allow us to move forward for the greater good for UK PLC because there's a huge opportunity. And I know if Jan Godsell was here, she would talk about two different types of flexibility that we really need to drive within the UK around structural flexibility. How do we make sure that we're using effectively all of the hard physical hardware um, and we can flex in out to use that when different parts of the manufacturing network needs to do use different parts of the, the hardware, so structural flexibility, but also, dynamic flexibility where you can then flow in and, uh, and flow out and really then maximize um, uh, flow within a network um, and really gain again for, for the greater good and not just for the individual within a node. So there, there's some really important concepts that will allow us to step change results for everybody involved if we can work out some of those trust issues. And I do think one of the critical things that we need to learn to address to, to be much more effective is this um, the midstream participants in within any supply chain it's very easy to focus on the downstream or the upstream which is where the biggest benefits are and where the biggest challenges are but actually engaging the midstream 
to really drive and empower the change that's required both in terms of UK PLC, both in terms of materials traceability, but also in terms of supporting the need for trust across that supply chain using digital tools, I think is probably the, the key driver that needs to happen. The other part of trust that we need to really at least try and push the agenda on is that by using blockchain enabled solutions, it does genuinely create that level of immutability of record keeping of more importantly as well, the data. So the data can be trusted as it's shared across the network. And therefore there is joint decision-making and joint action or calls to action to drive change to happen. So Vera and Kim, from, from what you've just been talking about, this kind of that investment is needed in innovation in supply chains. And whose responsibility do you see? It's, it's mutual benefit across the supply chain, but somebody has to kick it off. Somebody has to start, somebody has to put that initial investment in. Where do you see having, you know, working in the organizations that you're working in, does that investment always start at the top of the chain? I think that certainly from Circular's experience, all of, the, all of our work has been driven through our tier one clients, our OEM manufacturers, because they have the single biggest challenges in terms of meeting their SUDs, meeting the challenges placed on them by their investors, their consumers and stakeholders. So that is driving the need for change. They're engaging their participants by bringing them to the table and articulating it in very, very smart ways as to what is the benefits case for the midstream and the follow-on participants' nodes to join the supply chain transformation that they're trying to achieve. And therefore the cost is being initially borne by the OEMs and the tier ones, but equally the midstream participants are starting to engage because they're seeing benefits for themselves commercially. And is that a collaborative engagement or is it more of a directive? The vast majority has been collaborative because there's been a shared understanding of the end goal. And in Circular's case, this has primarily been about creating transparency to ensure that no child labor is being involved within those supply chains of sourced materials, but equally that no human rights have been infringed and that good practices have been cascaded within manufacturing supply chain processes and automation. Kim, I, I could see that you were eager to add, yes, you're, you're driving at the, the, at the top level, at the, the, the OEM tier one level. Uh, it's, a, I think, um, a need for both. I mean, clearly the initial drive comes from um, the big guys um, who um, typically have the resources, the time um, uh, and um, the know-how to really uh, enable that, that strategy. Um, and encourage then organizations, as, uh, as you say, within their supply networks to then be part of that journey. Um, but <laughs> I hate to use the trust word again, but it's then making sure that there is a, a good understanding of how that data, if it's being shared, how it's then benefiting all that are involved down the supply chain and not just for the benefit of the larger organization that's kicking off the work. Um, so absolutely, I, I think there's a huge role for the larger organizations, certainly within UK PLC to really role model and help and lead the way. Um, uh, but I also, I think there's a, I mean, we have such a um, huge landscape of small, medium-sized manufacturing organizations in, in the UK who are definitely waking up to the fact that digitalization can 
um, is actually within their touch. It's not at the price tags that um, the big ERP rollouts used to be that was really just not within their grasp. There are solutions out there that really can step change um, a data availability and data insight that they can absolutely benefit for themselves now. They, they need to help in really understanding um, what that what the approach could be, um, uh, how that how simple the implementation can be. They're not two-year projects now. You can implement digital solutions within a matter of weeks, and they shouldn't be those huge expensive rollouts that traditionally frankly, I think have put off those smaller organizations to really reap the benefits of what a good digital strategy can give them. Yeah, what I think is super interesting, actually, the fact that Vera and Kim, you've joined us today, you're both leading small SME innovative digital um, companies that are working with huge um, OEMs and tier ones. And the fact that the SME innovator has a place in this landscape is super prevalent just by this conversation. I think that is really, it's really, really important because the solutions now are built to plug and play. Um, and so absolutely, um, uh, the bigger companies can look at, well, what are the smaller technologies that can bolt onto what my current landscape is that give me more um, uh, onto how to better run my end-to-end -end network. So yeah. absolutely, there are um, smaller uh, solutions for those big companies, but also, um, in effect, those small solutions can make a huge impact on those smaller um, OEM um, uh, and uh, startup uh, companies um, that can really enable them to benefit from having a, a digital strategy. I totally agree with King's statement in the sense that, you know, a lot of the SMEs in this sector have been quite smart at building enterprise-grade solutions. And what that also then drives is the ability to work with corporates to enable them to become more agile by using those digital innovations, which fast tracks the changes that they're trying to achieve and the outcomes they're trying to achieve. Great, thanks Vera. So I'm going to go back to Chris now. Um, so we've seen that there is a space for digital innovation from small startup companies in the UK to solve the, um, the supply chain issues. Um, and I know that there's several programs within the May Smarter Innovation um, Big Program Challenge uh, that you're funding, Chris. Do you want, can you share any insights into some of the winners that, um, of the Digital Supply Program or the Accelerator Program that is running with Digital Catapult? Yeah, I, I think it, maybe just in answer to your question about you know how how do you drive that innovation. Um, the answer by both Kim and Vera, I mean, they probably underplayed the impact their organization is having in driving that innovation within those companies. So where does the innovation come from? It comes from innovators of all shapes and sizes across the landscape. I think um, we're very conscious to try and find those innovative companies wherever they are. So it's not about where you are in the sort of stack and the, or you're an OEM tier one, tier two. Is it, It's about really tapping into where those innovations are. Um, many of the big OEMs, I've got tremendous ideas, tremendous capability and so on, but they're not always the first to implement. They're not always the first to innovate. You'll find that innovation across the whole value chain. And wherever it's found, that's what we're trying to sort of tap into. So in our competitions, we find a range of company sizes um, from the very large to the very small, both on the manufacturing side and also on the technology side. 
uh, and you see tremendous innovation across all of them. So I don't think it's, you know, it, it's not, it's not right to think that the innovation only happens in one place or which you're targeting. Clearly, OEMs, you know, the big companies really have enormous potential to have leverage over their supply chain and it's a potential route of influence, but many of them also have long, complicated um, technology landscapes. It makes it difficult to implement some of this stuff at speed. Um, so some, some really disruptive manufacturing companies have come through and they've got some really interesting technology landscapes. So they've got greenfield sites they can start with fresh. Um, and you see that a lot of those moving at pace. So I think there's, there's real signs of innovation across across all areas of the, this um, domain, I think. You know, and people like Beer and Kim and the companies they're part of, are you know, a really big part of that. It's really exciting to see. So yesterday I sat through technology accelerator showcases for a range of different solutions, companies that I hadn't heard of, innovators that had not come across, some really brilliant ideas that really could have a significant impact. So a range of manufacturing industries, I'm lucky enough to see all the competition winners come through from the digital supply chain. People doing some really, you know, really, really interesting stuff so that it's a really vibrant space. Uh, it's wrong to think that we should just look to only to those big companies for, for leadership. They've, you know, say tremendous ideas and, and tremendous leadership within them, but it's not the only place where it happens. Um, and I would say the, you know, that happens in, in very small companies. And, and in very large ones. So, and I say that it's important on this topic that we sort of tap into that and bring those bring those communities together as much as we can. So whether it's by the competitions we run, the innovation hubs we set up, accelerators we run, the network we transform, trying to bring those innovators together is really important, I think, because uh, you know the more everybody's aware of the good ideas that are out there and can really work with them, you know, the better impact we'll have across UK manufacturing in general. Just to add on that, for me, it's the innovators in the providers, uh, but the innovators in the users. And as you say, Chris, um, those, those innovators in terms of users could ex do exist in whatever size of company. Uh, and I've seen certainly large companies who haven't been particularly innovative in their using a strategy. Um, and actually, um, uh, it, it, it really de does depend on the culture and the strategy and the capability of individuals within those organizations to really drive wanting to use the tech. Um, and as you say, then the tech companies who have generated a huge amount of solution and capability within the UK uh, environment, there are solutions out there. They're getting um, absolutely um, better uh, plug and play to connect to each other that really then allows companies to um, have solutions that drive, um, uh, absolutely drive value across a manufacturing supply chain network rather than just work in isolation um, and just fix an issue in one area that may cause an issue in another. Yeah, I was just going to come back. There was a point that, that uh, I just wanted to raise, maybe to speak about the, the future in that sense. You mentioned about um, gathering together the data of the, the human in the loop, if you like. But what we'll see, what we already see, um, and I think we'll continue to see, is more intelligence in those systems, more autonomy in those systems. If you're, move, if you're managing a very fast-moving supply chain, very dynamically, simply bringing that back to some sort of control room or control tower to try and then get humans in the decision loop, you can't wait that long. Um, so you'll, you'll see it increase, uh, you know, particularly for the very big, fast-moving uh, companies, they, they already have some of them and they're going to continue to get more and more intelligence in those systems. So we'll see more and more intelligence, I think, in, in supply chain systems. And as you start to add in end-to-end the -end visibility, traceability needs and so on that we talked about, there's kind of more data to try and manage. Those things need to become more capable, but we will see more, more intelligence and autonomy in some of those systems increasingly over time as you're trying to deal with increased complexity. So 
whilst that's not maybe not a thing for everybody uh, in, in terms of all manufacturers, we will see that for sure. And I'm already seeing it. Um, I, I think it was a great, early on, Vera, you talked about Polestar, one of the clients that you're working with that's um, has kind of got that high level ambition and has not been scared to go out and state their ambition um, and their aim to get there. And I think having real examples of um, both companies that are innovating in this space, both from the manufacturing and the digital tech side, is super important in this environment, in the innovation environment. So others, so whether we call them laggards or fast followers, that, that they can keep up and they can um, and they can innovate and they can move their businesses on. So I don't know if if each of you've got um, one real live example. Um, Vera, you don't have to give another one if you do, don't want, but if you would like to, that would be great. Just kind of hail them um, up and say, this is what this client is doing, uh, this company is doing, and, and this is the innovation innovation that they're kind of, uh, they're, they're looking at. I, I think having those real live examples would, would be the cherry on, cherry on the cake for this uh, podcast. Oh, absolutely, we'd love to. So an, another example is we're working with BHP, um, one of the largest conglomerates in terms of the mining sector. And for them, we're tracing, we started tracing copper for them because that, that has a whole series of complicated issues in terms of the, the actual um, mining through to end use. They became very confident with the system. So they built up their own trust in the data that they were getting. And they've now moved on to tracking other materials such as um, you know, nickel and will want to add graphite and other things to their supply chain. But they started as an organization with a very clear and stated ambition. They wanted to be seen as having a very, very clear and transparent supply chain for their end customers. And that's what drives their engagement. And to pick up on your point, Chris, in terms of the requirement for data becoming much more prominent and being able to understand what that data is telling them to deal with anomalies in their supply chains. That's also been a powerful driver for them wanting to engage with us. Great, thanks Vera. Kim? Uh, I want to pick uh, an example actually. Um, SupplyView went live with a client during COVID and actually for me this is one of the other, bringing in another topic of um, there's always a reason and always a crisis happening in supply chain that makes people put off doing some work. But actually with this client, we, we went live with a new IT digital twin solution right at the start of COVID. And, uh, and for me, that company said, Tetley T, I'll call them out. They had the, the courage and the foresight and the wearable all to recognize that actually having that level of visibility across their end-to-end -end network really enabled them to weather the storm, certainly of COVID, in a, um, a much more controlled, stable fashion. Um, and absolutely, that driving and having that level of uh, data connectivity, data insight, allows you to make those improvements, even in times of crisis, where you think that the world is so unstable, how can you drive stability? Well, actually, that's exactly what data and insight will allow you to do to make the right decisions, to make the right um, uh, calls on how to best manage um, a very difficult and challenging situation. So my challenge to people is there's always the right time to get onto the journey. And yes, we've, we've been experiencing extremely volatile times, 
but actually now is the right time to use the tech that's available to really design um, resilience into supply chains um, and, and give you visibility because it will enable you to run your supply networks a lot more effectively. Great, thanks, Kim. And I was going to go to Chris, but as we're running short of time, I know what he would say, and he would say that his absolute innovation superstars in this place are Kim and Vera. So, <laughs> um, so just to kind of wrap up a bit then, early on, Vera, you were talking about the visibility and sustainability side of the supply chain. Kim, you brought in the idea around flexibility and visibility. But throughout, we've seen this theme around data, insights, action, and trust coming through super clear all the way through our discussion. And great that Chris could join us and add in a, an extra layer um, of insight into the innovation ecosystem that is in the UK at the moment and, is, um, and the funds that um, are there to support innovation around digital technology in the manufacturing environment. Thank you so much to Kim and Vera and Chris for your time uh, in this discussion. It was really, really interesting. I hope it's interesting to anyone that's listening to this podcast. Over to you, Daniel. Thank you, Nicole. Well, thank you all for those fascinating insights today. There's a lot of useful advice for manufacturers to take away from the discussion. For more information on the topics discussed today and for the latest manufacturing innovations and issues shaping the industry, please visit themanufacturer.com. Thank you, everyone, for your time today.